0: Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we continue our study in the book of Proverbs with chapter 25. These also are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. As the heavens for height and the earth for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. Take away the dross from the silver and the smith has material for a vessel. Take away the wicked from the presence of the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence, or stand in the place of the great. For it is better to be told, Come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. What your eyes have seen do not hastily bring into court, for what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Argue your case with your neighbor himself, and do not reveal another's secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you, and your ill repute have no end. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver, like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear, like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his masters, Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. With patience a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. If you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit it. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. Trusting in a treacherous man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot that slips. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day, and like vinegar on soda. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and Yahweh will reward you. The north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue, angry looks. It is better to live in the corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country; like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. It is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory; a man without self control Is like a city broken into and left without walls. This is the word of the Lord. This introduces us to a new section in the book of Proverbs as we shift from the Proverbs originally written by Solomon now to Proverbs that Solomon wrote but were apparently stored in the archives in the land of Judah and found by the men of Hezekiah and they copied them. They've continued to then build upon this book of wisdom in the Old Testament. Solomon, according to 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 32, wrote 3,000 or spoke 3,000 proverbs, and he also had 1,005 songs. So he's, he's quite well spoken and written of his wisdom. Sharing the wisdom that God gave him in 1 Kings 3 is a great gift. So this is 10th century B.C., Hezekiah now, though, he would be the beginning of the 7th century B.C., and right the tail end of the 8th, so almost 300 years have gone by, roughly, and these continue to be copied, they continue to be shared. Now we can jump forward all the more, right? 2,700 years, and these continue to be copied and shared, and even more so than they were in the past. But the wisdom of God, the word of God uh, being expressed, being shared with others. So the Holy Spirit, by divine inspiration, uh, sought that these particular proverbs of these next couple chapters would be included in his holy word. It starts with verse 2, the glory of God to conceal things. This could be a fun family conversation. What is What are some things that you wish we could know but that we don't. And those can be silly. They can be just random uh, statements about the world itself, like, why is the sky blue instead of purple? Why did God make it that way? (laughs) Whatever random it could be, right? But then it can also get into the, the serious conversations about our faith, too, not just how God created various things in different ways. But we don't understand the Trinity. We don't understand, really, even the Lord's Supper. There are some pretty vital, central parts of our faith that still remain hidden from us, and it's okay. It's actually good. It's the glory of God to conceal things. He reveals to us enough. He gives us just enough that we can know his plan of salvation, how he's going to save us and redeem us. The word mystery would apply here, certainly, uh, to conceal things, to have them be a mystery. That's actually the, the Latin word for mystery is sacrament, sacramentum, where we get our English word sacrament that we use for baptism and the Lord's Supper. This is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul refers to the apostles, or we would even say pastors, as stewards of the mysteries, caretakers of the sacraments of the church. We don't understand everything. And yet we have the promise from God that the things of God do exactly what he says they do. And so the Lord's Supper brings forgiveness. It really is Christ's body and blood, even if we don't understand how. The opposite, though, is that it is the glory of kings to search things out. So while God it is to his glory, it causes us to search him out. In a way, if you think about it, uh, that he conceals these things. But the king, he's going, going to glorify himself. He's going to make himself seen by the world by trying to seek out the world, conquer the world, control it. So very, very different pictures there. Verse 3 is a bit of a warning, perhaps, that you cannot search the hearts of a king. You can't know their heart. So as we were warned not to get too close to them when they're giving us food uh, in chapter 24 yesterday, so we're in a way warned about them here. Only God knows their heart. Verse 4 gives us the idea that if the, the smith, the smithy as we might call them, uh, were purifying a metal, he would have a better metal than to use for making an object. So heat that, that silver up and then he can take away its impurities and it will become better still. Then that's compared to the king. Take the impurity away from him, take the wicked away from him, and his throne will be established. So it's a a parallel here. Now the question is, what is the wicked being removed from the king? Is it the wicked within him, that is his own sinful nature, or is it uh, the wicked people that might come into his court? I think you could make the case for either of those things being an improvement. Most likely it's a reference to wicked people, the contrast to the fool and the wise throughout this book. Verse 6, Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. Better to be told come up here than to be put lower. This is very much so what Jesus is talking about in the parable of the wedding feast in Luke chapter 14, that when you are invited, don't sit in the highest place, because somebody more honorable than you may show up, and you be bumped and have to go sit in the lowest spot. Instead, sit in the lowest spot, and then when the host invite comes up to you he will invite you to move to a higher spot, a better spot, and you will be lifted up, glorified in the presence of everyone. It's the same picture here. We're being encouraged to humility rather than pride. The next section, verses 7 through 10, is going to be primarily about the idea of reconciliation and not taking things to court. We are instructed in the New Testament, for example, in Paul's epistle to Corinth, that we ought not sue one another. And so here, similar, uh, that instead of taking your neighbor to court, hastily settle with them. Work it out with your neighbor, lest you be put to shame. Who knows? You may not be in the right. You might lose that court fight. Also, don't reveal your uh, another secret, a neighbor's secret, Or that could be brought back upon you as the person that you've shared that secret with might spread it to others and hurt is done to your friend or so forth. Ultimately, these things would damage your reputation as it would come around that you had not kept that guarded that secret. Verse 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. For those of you podcast lovers out there, uh, a couple of Lutheran pastors, Reverend Willie Grills and Reverend Zelwyn Heidi, uh, here's where they took their, their podcast title from. A word fitly spoken is one that I myself listen to on occasion um, when I get the opportunity. The point of the verse, though, right, is when you use a word just right, it stands out. Just like that gold. It's apple of gold, we might even phrase it ourselves, nugget of gold, right? This chunk of gold in the midst of a silver setting, it stands out. And so a word fitly spoken to speak the word of truth in that moment, whatever the moment is, it'll be heard, it'll be recognized, and this is good. So learning wisdom to discern when is the right time to speak. Also, uh, verse 12, similarly, the idea that a a wise man's reproof, so as we would seek to instruct someone willing to listen, they will appreciate that wisdom, they'll appreciate that reproof, they'll value it like they would value a gold ring or an ornament of gold. Verse 13 is a little difficult. Um, Normally we would think of of snow in the harvest time as bad, but we're here told that it's a refreshment. The messenger is a refreshment to those who send him. So think of the heat of a day of harvest. And now all of a sudden a, a quick cool breeze blows down out of the mountains with a little snowfall uh, just to cool it off uh, and refresh the laborer with a little moisture, a little cool breeze. That's the picture. Um, so the messenger refreshes those who sent him. And we can look at that in probably several ways. You can think of messages that might get sent. So Paul, as he writes his epistles, sending messengers, men, to carry that epistle to the church. And that brings about prayers from the church for Paul, prayers of thanksgiving to the Lord, also prayers of God's uh, continued care for Paul uh, and the preaching of his gospel. We could think of, ultimately, our uh, work as God has sent us to share. We are called messengers as his children. And so we we're refreshing to the Lord as we we share that good news, and there's much rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. Verse fourteen, though, uh, the the man who boasts of a gift he does not give is like clouds without a rain. Uh, a cloud without rain is not useful. So a man who is a boaster, a, a prideful man, especially one who who pride, prides himself in foolish things, and here lies outright, not useful, not helpful to his neighbor. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded. So you can continue to, to seek to give wisdom to somebody who is in authority over you, even in this case. And that, that's really the same as the second part, a soft tongue will break a bone, with patience, uh, you know, you get a small uh, bone in your your meal, your tongue might be able to bend to snap that little bone. might be the reference here. So you work at it with patience. Verse 16, pretty straightforward. These 16 and 17 are a pair. So honey is good, but if you eat too much of it, you'll be sick. So it is good to visit with your, with your neighbors, but if you're there too much, they will get sick of you. Simply put. Verse 18, a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club sword or sharp arrow. Destructive. Eighth Commandment sins hurt. Right, They tear down the reputation. They destroy your neighbor. Trusting in a treacherous man in the time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot that slips. Um, Those bad tooth doesn't seem to lead to destruction nearly as much as a foot that slips as you slip and you fall and, you know, break a bone or something like that. But trusting the treacherous man leads to destruction. We are to put our trust in Christ alone. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day. In other words, not a good idea. Vinegar on soda, a bit of a odd reference at the end of verse 20, probably making it foam up, agitating it. So singing songs with a heavy heart doesn't necessarily bring healing, but makes it perhaps worse. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. Thirsty, give him water to drink. You he will heap burning coals on his head, and Yahweh will reward you. We talked about this verse in chapter 24 yesterday as well i attributed it to romans chapter 12 but truly uh, paul in romans 12 is citing from here in proverbs chapter 25 and so we talked this one at length uh, but a brief summary of this again is the idea that we love our enemies vengeance is not ours vengeance belongs to the lord he will take revenge against those that we have been wronged by and honestly what better, what greater revenge could you bring to that enemy anyway? There is no stronger revenge than to see God cast them into hell on the day of judgment. We simply don't have the ability to get them back in that kind of a way. And so if you really want revenge against your enemy, love him. Don't hate him. Don't seek to attack him. Don't seek to break him down. Put him in God's hands. Love him. And the heaping burning coals on his head thing is is that very thing, that you, as you love him, you are sharing Christ with him. You're befriending him, you're being kind to him, you're offering him generosity, and through this, you would have that word fitly spoken. You'd be able to share the word of Jesus, the gospel good news. And as he rejects that, his heart inside of him is hardening even more, and the day of judgment looms. You are burying him in his sin, where he will be cast out forever into the pits of hell. The contrast is, he repents. He sees everything that you're doing. He hears the love of Christ from you, and he repents. In which case, you now have a brother. No longer an enemy, but a new brother, a part of the body of Christ together with you, forgiven, reconciled, and you get to share paradise together forever. This is a very different picture than the world has. All right, verse 23, the north wind brings forth rain, so a backbiting tongue brings angry looks. So simple statements about what two things bring. The picture of the tongue here again coming up, it's been frequent in the book of Proverbs, just as in the New Testament, frequent in the book of James. If you use your tongue for evil, speaking evil things, your neighbors notice. It brings about disgust from them. Verse 24, I haven't actually been counting, but it feels like probably the sixth time, perhaps, that we've seen a, an argument like this. Better to live in a corner of the housetop, so live in a box, basically, a tiny secluded little spot, than share a whole house with a quarrelsome wife. It seems to be that all of these are building up towards chapter 31 and the excellent wife that we will read about together in less than a week's time. Like cold water to a thirsty soul is good news from a far country, so refreshing uh, and and uplifting. This was often true of the epistles, as Paul again wrote to the various churches, that as they heard of him, they would rejoice, or as he received word about them, he would rejoice. And so it can be today as well to hear that there are Christians in other parts of the world. To hear how the gospel proclamation is going in various places is just fantastic and really an encouragement. Like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain, two places you would not want to drink, correct, is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. So of little use. Not good. Instead, the opposite would be that we stand firm don't give in to the wicked. Don't give in to their ways. But also don't let them just overrun your neighborhood. Overrun your neighbor. Stand firm in your faith and stand firm in your love of the people around you. It is not good to eat much honey, just like verse 16, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. So to overindulge oneself on honey versus then overindulging oneself on oneself. This is the other family conversation for the day. If we're not here to seek our own glory, if we're not here to build up ourselves and make the best life that we can for ourselves, why are we here? And Jesus very straightforwardly says this a couple of times in the New Testament. Once you see it once, you'll see it in several other places too. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's our purpose. We're not here to build ourselves up. We're here to care for his creation. And part of caring for his creation is caring for our neighbor. And there's not a better way to do that than to point them to him, to their Savior and ours. Lastly, a man without self control is like a city broken into and left without walls. The defenses are gone. The city is breached. The people are being destroyed. So the man without self control. He's already breached. He's already being destroyed by his sin, by his temptations. It is a common New Testament characteristic of the Christian to have self-control. and That's something that we, I think, easily can say uh, we we lack in the 21st century American context. We have not been taught self-control, very much so living in the the stuff materialistic world that we do, self-control has eluded us, and it needs to be a discipline that we, we focus on again, teaching our children so that we can indeed stand firm in our faith. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, who forgives our weakness. May we pray that he would strengthen us all the more.